Welcome to Him We Proclaim, a podcast devoted to the preaching ministry of the Mount Church. Know that the following sermon is specifically intended to build up our local church in Clemson, South Carolina. Feel free to listen along and distribute what you hear, while prioritizing what we pray is the faithful preaching ministry of the healthy local church to which you meaningfully belong. With that, all grace to you as you listen to this episode of Him We Proclaim. Good morning. I invite you to turn in your Bible to the letter of Galatians. Galatians chapter 5, this morning we're going to be reading and then we'll be studying together verses 7 through 15. If you're visiting with us, uh, our goal in preaching, uh, we call expositional uh, preaching, is we want to understand uh, the, the force or the sense, the main thing in the passage, in the Word of God, and then we want to put that to work for you through preaching. Okay, we want what's the central thing in the text to be the central thing in the sermon, okay? So here we go. Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 7. Paul writes, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. And the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Would you pray with me? Lord, we are gathered here to hear from you. Not, not from a man, a mere human being, but from the living God. And we thank you so much that you've given us a living word. And we praise you for the Holy Spirit. And uh, we ask that he would graciously and powerfully work in each one of our hearts, whether we need to be converted, whether we need to be saved, or uh, having been converted, we simply just need to be refreshed and find rest in the truth of the cross again. I pray that you would do that, that he would do that. We ask it for the glory of Christ and for the health of our church. In Jesus' name, amen. 
So for today's introduction, uh, I played basketball last week. <clears throat> it was well, good morning. I invite you to turn in your Bible to the letter of Galatians. Galatians chapter 5, this morning we're going to be reading and then we'll be studying together verses 7 through 15. If you're visiting with us, uh, our goal in preaching, uh, we call expositional uh, preaching, is we want to understand uh, the, the force or the sense, the main thing in the passage, in the Word of God, and then we want to put that to work for you through preaching. Okay? We want what's the central thing in the text to be the central thing in the sermon. Okay, so here we go. Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 7. Paul writes, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from Him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. And the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Would you pray with me? Oh Lord, we are gathered here to hear from you, not, not from a man, a mere human being, but from the living God. And we thank you so much that you've given us a living word. And we praise you for the Holy Spirit. And uh, we ask that he would graciously and powerfully work in each one of our hearts, whether we need to be converted, whether we need to be saved, or uh, having been converted, we simply just need to be refreshed and find rest in the truth of the cross again. I pray that you would do that, that he would do that. We ask it for the glory of Christ and for the health of our church. In Jesus' name, amen. So for today's introduction, uh, I played basketball last week. It was a full court, no sub, no timeout, no foul game against the 14U All-Stars 
of Central Clemson. And I ran really well at the beginning. And then there was the latter 99% of the game. And as I was told by my beloved wife, I started to trot a lot. Uh, my back began to ache, my calf pulled, my Achilles tweaked, I think. Uh, my neck tightened up, and my lungs were like, what are you doing? I spent most of the second half, when they were you know, hitting fast breaks, talking up the coach, so I'd have an excuse for why I wasn't running hard after them. Uh, the truth was, truth was, I did not know that I would be called into action, and I was not prepared for it when I was called into action. Wogging, as I call it, it's a mix of jogging and walking, that's what I do. Wogging does not prepare you for the sort of running that I was called to do uh, with these all-stars, and neither does uh, drinking more coffee than water on a daily basis. Uh, there's a reason, at the end of every practice, one of the coaches says, no sodas, no Gatorade, water, at the end of every practice. Help yourself out. No soda, no Gatorade, water. Train for running well every day. I had, I had a well-oiled opponents, that's true, but I was also my own worst enemy. And the combination meant I was not able to run as free as I would have liked to be able to run. And when it comes to obeying the truth of the gospel, churches like these in Galatia can find similar resistance, both foreign and native to their bodies. Are we running free as a church body? Are we doing what's necessary as a local body of believers in the Lord Jesus Christ to run well, not just each day, but all the way to eternity? For freedom, Paul has asserted, for freedom, Christ has set us free, but are we then living accordingly? Are we not only knowing the truth of the cross, but are we obeying it? Are we not only obeying it, but are we guarding it? Are we not only guarding it, but then are we proclaiming it? Are we preaching it? Are we not only preaching it, but are we then bearing a cross for that message? Are we not only bearing a cross for that message, but then are we exercising it here in this church as love for one another? The message of the cross isn't just for our conversion. Beloved, the message of the cross is for our calling. The message of the cross is for our running. The message of the cross is for our living. The message of the cross is for our loving one another well. Let's come to our text. And uh, the first assertion here that running free insists on fidelity or faithfulness to the truth of the cross. 
Running free insists on fidelity to the truth of the cross. Dear ones, starting is not the same as finishing. Starting well is not the same as finishing at all. And so Paul here corrects them even as he commends them, sort of. He tells them in verse 7, if you look there, you were running well. You'll note that he does not say you are running well. You were running well. You were, but you're not anymore. You were obeying the truth, but you're not right now. Don't you see there, the truth isn't just something that we believe. The truth is something that we are to obey. The, tr- the truth is not just for our lips. The truth is for our lives. It's for our living. Faith in the truth is a living faith. We do not believe the truth without the truth changing and then commandeering the way that we live our lives. Believing and obeying the truth are inseparable activities, which is why it's all critical that we know it and preach it and guard it and even be willing to die for it. Authenticity is at stake. Glory is at stake. And so is running good and free until we get there. So here's the truth. Jesus has achieved our eternal salvation. Isn't that wonderful? Jesus has justified us. And He's also amenably regenerated us. If you're a Christian, the risen Christ effectively crucified, is entirely sufficient for both riding you with God and for your running with God in this world. That right there is the truth. All we need comes by Christ and flows from the grace of His cross. Running well implies drinking a lot, from the well of the cross of Christ. But now in Galatia, a grave error was spreading among these churches. We are not dealing with an inconsequential persuasion that we as Christians would just never entertain. It's silly. The debate here is not over something like the millennium. It's about the gospel of God as detailed throughout the Bible and supremely manifest in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we're dealing with. Do you know one of the cardinal sins of running, and especially running a race? It's looking behind you. When you look back, you slow down. It's one of the first things that we coach out of guys in flag football. You get out in the open, you break free, don't look back. You look back, they're going to get you. Don't look back. You set your face forward and you run to the goal line. The opponents in Galatia were teaching the, the exact opposite. 
They were saying, if you want to really run with God, you've got to backpedal. If you want to live to God, you've got to go back to Moses. You've got to go back to the law. You've got to go back to that covenant. Jesus lived under the law. So if you would be a child of God, why wouldn't you live under the law? You need to come back in order to live. You need to come back for life to a law that's entirely incapable of supplying that life to you. It's true. Jesus did live under the law. Galatians 4. 4 through 5. Jesus did live under the law. But why? To redeem us from under the law. And with good reason. Saving reason. The law couldn't do what Jesus does, and that is set us free from both the penalty and the power of sin. He sets us free to run well with God. But as Satan hates smooth running, he places his nails in the way. He introduces first uh, apathy about the truth. Are you apathetic about the truth this morning? That doesn't come from Him who calls you. There's first apathy about the truth. And then He introduces ignorance about the truth. And then indifference. Indifference to, to error. Indifference to error in relationship to God and to His people, the church. And then, only then does He introduce false teachers because they have an environment in which they can thrive. And then last, if not total obliviousness to the truth and unwillingness to name those false teachers. We were in Deuteronomy 13 with the youth on Wednesday. <clears throat> Moses could not have been clearer about this. It does not matter who the person is, whether it's a miracle worker or your very best friend or your dearly beloved spouse. If they teach God's people contrary to God's Word, if they teach you something that will draw you away from the living God, you must not conceal them. You're to reveal them. You're to name them in the hope of mercy both for yourself and the congregation of God's people, you're to point them out for everyone. Do you see what Paul asks in verse 7? You were running well. What's the very next word? Who is hindering you from obeying the truth? He wants to know. Paul wants them to know. Who was it? Who's calling you away from Christ? Who is it that is perverting the gospel, doctoring up the truth, contaminating the church, introducing really another religion, hamstringing your faithfulness, your ability to run in the freedom of Christ? Who is it who's doing this? Search them out, identify them, name
It's not, you know, behold the Lamb of God. You know, John the Baptist, when he's naming Christ, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Uh, Satan's messengers have a very different message. And what Paul's wanting us to do as a people, as a church, is to go, behold, the liar of Satan who attempts to take away the Savior of the world by the message that they're preaching. Now, in no way is that easy. But do you see why it must be done? Paul gives two reasons in verses 8 and 9. Verse 8, this persuasion is not from him who calls you. Do you remember how God called you? Galatians 1.6. I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ. You're a Christian. God called you just as he called Paul. A little bit different. Damascus Road experience, you know. But internally, same thing. Long before you were born, God set you apart. And the basis of his call was no different than the basis of his election. As he set us apart before we had done a thing in the world, he called us also in the midst, not of our illustrious godliness, but in the midst of our feverish ungodliness, running ignorantly in our own native enmity against God. God yet brought His gospel to us, and under the hearing of the gospel, He revealed His Son to your soul. He opened your deafened ears to hear the gospel call to repent, and to believe in Jesus for salvation. And because it was effective, you did. You heard. You repented. You believed. You were saved by grace. Paul's saying, don't ever forget that. You know what you were not doing when God called you to Himself? You were not doing the law of Moses. You were, in some sense, to varying degrees, thinking on, ruminating on what Jesus had done to save a sinner like yourself. You were sitting under the gospel, hearing the gospel, thinking on the gospel. So this persuasion that you've now got to add to what Jesus finished and perfects, is not from Him who calls you in the grace of Christ. That teaching is not true to God. That teaching is not biblical. And the teacher then, who's teaching it, needs to be called out, not as a teacher, but as a troubler of God's people. His persuasion is from the pit. And nothing from the pit needs a place among the people of God. It is a viral contaminant. What do I mean? Look at verse 9. Paul says this, A little 
leaven leavens the whole lump. Church, Paul has a doctrine of the church. We're like a lump of dough. However many, we're one. Such that what anyone lets in, if it's left in, cannot help but work its way throughout. For better or for ruin. As a Christian, you need to understand, you should not be a pinch off the loaf. A pinch off, if left in isolation, becomes what? A hard and moldy crumb. That's not what you should be as a Christian. But you take it, like I make biscuits in the morning, you know, and I got a little piece over here and I put it back in the dough, right? You knead it into the dough, into the vital lump, and then it's cared for, and that little piece becomes fresh and vital with the rest of the lump. It takes on whatever else is in the lump. If you're a Christian but you're not a member in a church, you should be a member of a local church. But best you can, in the process, you need to know what's in that church. And with all the rest, you need to realize the responsibility then that you will bear for that content. What's in it. Even a little Leaven leavens the whole lump. So dear ones, understand. Understand this. We are not only united by faith to Jesus, but united by faith to Jesus, we're united to each other. One another. Membership in this local church is our way of saying we're voluntarily, visibly, and especially devoted to the strengthening of that bond, that union among this particular lump. In simpler terms, what you or I let in and leave in will get in all of us. Paul will not allow us to think of the Christian life individualistically or irresponsibly or indoctrinally. He's wanting to awaken these churches to their corporate responsibility for the purity of what's being taught in their midst. It matters for life. It matters for eternity. There is a reason your pastors may seem at times... What's the word? Careful. You say awesome? Thank you. That's my wife. I was thinking adamant. Uh, thorough. I hope. And that would be because of verses like these. Do you see that? By the grace of God, your pastors, we as fellow members with you, we want to spare you what will corrupt and flatten the slump while feeding you on what will bind and build and give this lump 
rise. And if anyone becomes an heretical hindrance to this, we're to point them out. And if they persist, we're to do what Sarah did with Ishmael and cast them out. Put them out. Now, whether Paul's getting at the final stage of corrective church discipline or just the removal of a parasitical person among these churches, Paul's expectation, if you look at the end of verse 10, is the same. The one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. The reputation of the person doesn't matter. Nor does your relationship to that person. Again, it might be me or George. It might be Jenny or Janet. It might be John Piper or Alistair Begg. It might be Chrysostom, Golden Mouth himself. Or the Apostle Paul. It might be a donkey by the road or an angel from heaven. Your allegiance is to the truth of the cross above everything overall. Your allegiance is to the glory of the gospel of Christ among God's people. And if the one you've pointed out persists in preaching against that gospel, you're to put them out. You're to draw a circle around the church and place them outside of that circle. They're to bear the penalty of not being numbered among the redeemed insofar as they abide in that current spiritual state. And that, Paul suggests, will help a church. Make healthy running strides. We're talking about fidelity to the truth of the cross. So important. And just so Paul reminds us, there will be no keeping to the cross as he's just charged us without having to bear a cross ourselves. In principle, It's no big deal to preach circumcision under the premise that it accrues earnings with God. That's what natural man believes. A person may not take that route, but it makes sense to them. It says, I'm not so bad that I can't save myself. Also, it says, God's not so good, I have to be so good to not condemn myself. People like the unbiblical message of human merit and ability. You preach that, no problem. Except in healthy, true Christian churches. I would hope. If I wanted, I could do that. It's no good. But you know who used to preach that message? Persecuting everyone who disagreed with him along the way? That's right, Nick. Paul. 
Paul used to preach doing the eternal law to self-inherit eternal life. Paul used to preach man's meritorious contributions to Messiah's coming into the world. By how I live, by how I can get all you to live, we can bring the Christ into the world. And He will reward us. But then, the Messiah who had come into the world, all of grace, saved His lost soul all the same. When the risen Jesus, who had been crucified, revealed Himself to Paul, Paul has already told us the great effect in Galatians chapter 1. He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried and failed to destroy. The great persecutor became the great preacher of Christ. The great persecutor of the church became the great preacher of the cross. He stopped preaching what made sense to man's natural inclinations and beliefs. And he started preaching the gospel of the living God. And in that exchange came another exchange. Persecution instead of praise. Church, there is no true preaching of Christ crucified without taking up a cross oneself to do so. Why? Because none of that preaching, the truth of the cross, is amenable to man's glory. The cross, verse 11, he says, is pregnant with offense. You see that there? If you don't want the heat of the truth of the cross, you will water down that truth by introducing ideas that are foreign to it. Like, you're really good people. Just think positive thoughts. Obey some rules and you'll live forever. Moral, therapeutic deism. That's what that is, as one's coined it. Be good. Feel good. And let's wrap it all around God. People love that. What they don't love, apart from a new birth, is hearing that it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for them as sinners to enter the kingdom of God. What they don't love by nature is the truth that we all were so ruined by sin that we would torture and crucify the Lord of glory who came into the world to save us. They don't love to hear what we just loved to sing, that Jesus paid it all, all to Him I owe. They don't love. Not the labor of my hands can fulfill thy law's demands. 
Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? All could never sin erase. Thou must save, and save by grace. They don't love that because it offends them. But that's the truth of the cross. It says our only hope is believing on Jesus. It says that as to heaven, the cross of Christ is all our boast. Why are you getting in? Because Christ loved me and gave Himself for me. And people will kill to silence that good news. With Paul, are you prepared to be a martyr for the gospel? I'm pretty sure Paul had his head removed for it. Paul says the troublers are preaching Jesus plus because they are not willing to suffer for Jesus alone. Galatians 6. They love themselves. They love their own glory more than they love the truth of the cross. What about you and me? See in verse 10, it is more than okay to take sides. Indeed, you must take a side. Choose this day is a constant refrain in the Bible. We cannot fear being firm on the truth of God. Listen to what Paul says here. Paul says his view of things is God's view. Do you find that arrogant? Not if you know the truth. Paul's view is God's view. Paul's view is the biblical view. Paul's view is the right view. Paul's view is the only view worth taking. Friends, it is not arrogance to take God's side. It's arrogance not to. And worse, it's finally condemning. So much attention is given to verse 12. I know you want me to deal with it. When Paul's just bringing his argument to its Rightful resting place. Christ crucified says, circumcision saved no one. In the end, circumcision was just a removal of the flesh. So, if these teachers are going to make a removal of a little bit of flesh, meritorious with God, why not put your money where your mouth is, 
and go all the way. If a little is meritorious, why not a lot? If a little is meritorious, why not just remove it all? I wish that they would emasculate themselves. It's an option. It will not save you. The other one is just obey the truth of the cross. Running free insists on obeying the truth of the cross. And as necessary, that invites us, it enjoins us to point out and to put out false teachers while loving what natural man loves to hate. And though these churches are entertaining their ruin. Paul remains confident in Christ, not in them, but in Christ, that they, as I you, will do what's necessary to run as they have been called by Christ. Which brings us to this. That running free will look like something. Running free will look like love. Serving one another. Why must we so insist on the truth? Because truth is for life. These verses here, verses 13, 14, 15, they swing back to where we are, but also forward to what Paul's hinted at along the way, and that is the powerful dynamic at play in the Christian life. Is a Christian life really just living by a set of rules? Or is it being alive to God and living by faith in the self-giving Christ who indwells you by the Holy Spirit? The way I said it gave it away, right? As it is the latter, what on earth might that involve? What does it look like to run free? We'll start now and develop it in the weeks ahead. But Paul reiterates, if you look at verse 13, you were called to what? Freedom. You were called to freedom. Through faith in Jesus, dear ones, you are free. Just Can you just hear it and... Rest in it, okay? You are free from the penalty of your sins. You're free from the guilt of your sins. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Zero, none, ever again. You are free. From the judgment of God. You are free then from the torments of a graceless conscience. You are free from the wrath that the law of God assures you deserved. You are free from everlasting hell. You are freed by Jesus to never be under those things again. You're free. But are you free to indulge your flesh? But are you free to sin? May it never be.
seems there's no preaching the finishings of Christ without mistaking what it means for Christian living. If there's not one accusing Paul of giving license to sin by his doctrine of grace and the gospel, there's another in the church perhaps taking a license never given. And it stems from shortchanging the full import of the cross of Jesus. When we think of the cross, we tend to think in terms of all Jesus suffered to justify me. Praise the Lord. My sins are forgiven. His perfect righteousness is imputed to me. Praise the Lord. Amen. But we don't tend to think of it so much in terms of all Jesus suffered to change me. To grab a hold of me. To own me. To sanctify me. And applying it to me in the new birth. Hear this. Justification does not exist where regeneration does not exist. As you are free from the penalty of sin, you will also be free from the power of sin. The cross of Christ accomplished more for us than we typically realize. The false teachers in Galatia, they don't get this. How do we know they don't get this? Because they feel the need to lay down the law. They feel the need to bring the freed people of Jesus back under the law of Moses. They feel the need to put that burdensome yoke back upon the necks of the people because in their minds, that's the only way they can guarantee the godliness of those people. you got to obey the law. They think like that because there can't possibly be a divine person in the heart of the Christian who exists there and abides there precisely to produce what we know as the Christian life. Jesus is infinitely superior to Moses. What Moses could only prophesy about, Jesus died and rose to provide and put in your soul. Why does running free insist on fidelity to the truth of the cross? But because it is through the cross that Jesus bought and now situates the Holy Spirit at the animating center of you as a Christian and us as a Christian church. Hear these few verses again. Galatians 3, 13 and 14. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, the cross, so that in Christ Jesus we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. 
Or Galatians 4, 4 through 6. Jesus was born under the law to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive adoption as sons whereby God then sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts. Or Galatians 2.20 I have thus been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. You see that? There's a person in you now. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. And so Galatians chapter 3, verse 2, let me then ask you only this, Paul says, did you, church, receive the Spirit by works of the law or through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Likewise, Galatians chapter 3, verse 5, does he who continues to supply the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, do so by works of the law or by hearing about Jesus with faith. Okay, why were you called to freedom, dear ones? You were called to freedom to reflect the One who set you free. He's in you to get out of you. Don't miss the irony in Galatians and in our text. In calling these churches to observe the law again or for the first time, the teachers were calling them to run away from the only power by which they could ever actually fulfill it. The law gave no one any power to obey God from the heart. In fact, observing the law as they were encouraging these churches only opposes the emphasis of the law, which is love. <laughs> love your neighbor as yourself. Others-centered love. So, you want to know how close a church is to Jesus? You want to know how near they are to the cross? You want to know how led they are by the Spirit? Ask yourself, what do they love more? Truth or comfort? Themselves or the body of Christ? Sinning or serving? Biting like the serpent nipping at the heel, or edifying like our Savior. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Do we as a church have reason, verse 15, to watch out? Or, are our eyes fixed constantly on the cross of Christ? Do you find it surprising that we can apparently fulfill the law, as Paul implies? I mean, he spent a whole letter assuring us that we never could. 
only now to suggest we can and must. Sort of. Really, all he means is that we've believed in Jesus for justification, as the law said we should. And that believing that self-sacrificial Jesus has indwelled us by the Spirit and freed us to bind ourselves to a love that serves His body. To bind ourselves to a love like His love. Now friend, if I can speak to you for a moment if you're unbelieving, I just ask you, do you know that love? Has the offense of the cross that you are a sinner and that you cannot save yourself, has that sent you running to the Savior who died upon that cross? I want to let you know that right now, like today, you can be set free from the penalty and the power of your sins. But only as you turn from your sins and trust Jesus for all of that. Just ask the Lord, Lord, be of sin, the double cure. Save me from wrath and make me pure. And He will. He will save you. Church, as I sat on this all week, I thought to myself, oh boy, (laughs) I am crucified with Christ, but it is I who live far too much. I would ask, what about you? And there I have. But I also reached out to a member this week to ask them how they were doing after a certain car accident. We're glad she's right here. Was there anything that I could do for her? This was her reply. Essentially, not really. Why not? Quote, Honestly, I'm already overwhelmed in the good way with love and care. I don't know percentages, but I'm sure a lot of that love came from you. And not because you're nice people. You are nice people. But more vitally still, because you're Christ's people. And she's one of Christ's people. You're a free people. And you're learning to use your freedom as you have been called by Christ. You're living less and less like the Israel of Moses. And more and more like the church of the risen Savior. And there's no greater hydration for that than the truth of the cross. You stay there at the cross, protecting, enduring, drinking. I don't wonder, I know, will seldom have to be reproved by the Apostle Paul. You were running well. Because we just will be running well and free. So, no soda. No Gatorade. Just living water. We have a well of salvation so deep from which to draw. 
So let's just run to it over and over and over again and do so with joy. And we will live to God. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, we thank you for your word. We pray that it would get into us and continue to refashion, reshape, reform us and make us a people after your own heart. To the glory of Christ we ask it. Amen.